You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast, and this week we're doing our dive into Mama, March of the Machine, now that it's here-ish. Yes. Uh, what cards we think, as usual, overvalued, right at the right price, and what you're under. So we got the Goldilocks treatment here. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one. This is, as far as we know, one of the most open sets for the first week. Uh, as of the first day, I think in the serialized group, they said something like close to 10% of all of the serialized cards in the set had been hit, which is wild for that much product to have been yeah. opened at pre-release. But it's worth noting, cards are legal at pre-release now, and there was a Star City event with a modern event and some RCQs opening weekend. Mm -hmm. So you got to get them opened up quick. So yes. with that, let's get it started. Yep. So starting out with overpriced, uh, I had a couple options in front of me, but the one I want to stick with most is just flat Urbrask. And this one, it took me a while to remember that these are just Praetor named. They don't have uh, any superlatives. Yeah, no. Yeah. So Urbrask, like the other Praetors, is a creature on one side, a Saga on the other, with a an ability to transform. And it reads two and two red for a four four first strike. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, or Brask deals one damage to target opponent, add a red mana. Then you can pay one, exile or Brask, and return it to the battlefield, transformed under its owner's control, only activate as a sorcery, and only if you've cast three or more instant and or sorcery spells this turn. So we're looking to chain our spells. Cool. Yep. Then on the backside, we have a saga, The Great Work. Chapter one, The Great Work deals three damage to target opponent and each creature they control. All right, cool. You get a volcanic fallout. Chapter 2, create three treasure tokens. Sure, so now you refund three of the mana that Urbrask cost. And then chapter 3, until end of turn, you may cast instant and sorcery spells from any graveyard. If a spell cast this way would be put into a graveyard, exile it instead. Then you exile the great work and return it to the battlefield. So it will be front face up, so it will become Urbrask again. Yep. So basically you get... Past in flames, but for everyone's graveyard. And right now, the card is sitting at 18 and has been holding steady. When I took my notes for this, I noticed that because I was actually looking at the majority of the Praetors to decide on which ones I wanted to talk about, and it was a tie between Elish Nord and this, but all the Praetors had trended up slightly over the past few days and then basically hit a ceiling and sales stalled. So this is kind of where we are right now. It looks like we are kind of right priced for the moment, but I believe this card is overpriced slightly. I think this sits somewhere between $12 and $15 as it is a commander combo card in the long run. That's basically all you're doing. And I think it works really well alongside Kaikar. And Kaikar is basically uh, the same thing in Jeskai colors. I don't know why I didn't bring that up. But Kaikar reads... Flying. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. Sacrifice a spirit. Add a red. So basically, you can be creating a spirit and adding a red mana to your mana pool with both Kaikar and Urbrask, then sacrifice that spirit to refund an additional red. So it just kind of lets you go. It lets you chain even more, even faster. And I think these two are going to work pretty harmoniously together. I don't think Urbrask is going to be that great in the command zone. It'll be good in the 99. Going back to the flip side, I do believe that chapter one is the most impactful chapter of this. Chapter two is hot medium. And chapter three is not really game ending, but novel. Yeah. Because it takes so long to get there because this only ticks up in your upkeep unless you're proliferating it. And unless you're doing that because you're in additional colors past Urbrask, so you are playing Kaikar, which affords you blue and more and more spells with proliferate, then I don't see you chaining through these abilities that quickly. And so the novelty of chapter three is going to wear off. 
very quickly, but the idea of getting an early Urbrask down, chaining a couple spells, flipping it to the backside, hitting somebody for three, and then clearing their board is really where Urbrask is going to shine yeah. overall when you're not just straight <clears throat> combo killing with the front side. It also works really well with... Um, the card from Call Time, the backside's a horn, but the front side is the one that makes mana. I can't remember. Uh, it's played in the st- in Storm. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember which one, because Call Time was a garbage tier set, but I know what card you're talking about. All I can think of is Toski, and that's way wrong. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's a green squirrel. But it is. It's basically just going <laughs> to kind of play along with this already existing suite of cards and just kind of bolster that strategy. And as such, I really don't think that it's going to hold its price long term it's burgy god of storytelling whenever you cast a yeah, spell yeah. add a red until end of turn you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end right so now you have this kind of interesting suite of cards that play really well together with kaikar in the command zone and so as a supporting piece i really like Urbrask in a deck like this or even with burgy at the helm i do not like Urbrask yeah. at the helm of this deck because it's a little more limiting than both Kaikar and Bergy. Mm-hmm. And overall, like I said, right now it's 18. I don't think that is the long-term price. I think it settles at 12, maybe 15 at the ceiling. Yeah, and I, I think you know there's two reasons that I very much agree with this. And one is, and this is going to be a running theme when we do these episodes in the era of collector boosters, a rare card in a collector set is rarely going to be over $20 unless it's Ledger Shredder. Mm. You know what this isn't? Ledger Shredder. Uh, the other thing is that what I see everyone hyping up is, like you said, step three. It's Yogwill, Right. But the only reason Yogwill is good is because you get to choose when to cast it. Yeah. You get to build your graveyard up first. And sure, you get to choose when you flip Urabrask, but also... You have to wait three turns before you actually get it. I, that to me, that's just not good. No, uh, like all all of the reasons that you you know stated, I completely agree with, and it's just not. It doesn't strike me as a card that will be as prevalent throughout Magic, not just EDH, not just sixty card formats, to be that rarity of being a rare in a collector booster area that's over twenty dollars. I just don't see it happening no. at all. So, right. uh, definitely agree with it. Kicking it over to you. Yes. Uh, my over, and we will echo a similar sentiment here, is Ren and Realmbreaker. So first off, this card's nuts. Uh, two green, one, four loyalty. Lands you control have Painless City of Brass. Plus one, land becomes a 3-3. Three, three. Vigilance, Hexproof, Haste? Until your next turn, uh-huh. it's still a land. Minus two is the one that really really pushes it over for me is minus two mill three cards you may put a permanent card from among the milled cards into your hand that's very good yep uh now obviously it has to be among those three fine whatever uh but this is similarly not something that i see being an absolute rock star across edh and 60 card formats which is why Ledger Shredder is so popular, because it does see play in some CEDH lists, it does see play in EDH lists, and it sees play in Pioneer, importantly, because it's Pioneer season. Um, I think Ren and Realmbreaker is very good. I think there is absolutely a world where, similar to Urbrask, it's at that like 10 to $15 ceiling, yep. and I think that's more than reasonable. I do not think that this is a $20 card, which is where it sits now as a rare. Is it aggressively costed? Absolutely. Does it get bigger to protect itself? Absolutely. It also has an emblem that sucks. Yep. I get to cast, I get to play lands and cast permanent spells from my graveyard. Cool. That's it? That's, That's what I get. That just doesn't feel good. It doesn't build too much. Now I like this as a value engine, but unless you're Sylvan Library... Uh, which even then, I'd only run two in Legacy. I don't know what deck is going to want four Ren and Realmbreaker. It's just not as good as Ren and Six. Nope. Uh, I, I don't see this existing in that world because it's not a foundational piece. 
It's an accent that helps you do something else, but there's nothing about this card that screams build around me or I go into so many engines that are just you doing the things you do, like drawing cards in the case of Ledger Shredder. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just, I think within the next month or two, barring something insane, this card's below 10 bucks easy. I think it's a five to $7 card for a while. And maybe we will hit a world where it's above $15, but I think that's the high-end ceiling of this card for a bit. I I agree with that. I Ren and Realmbreaker is a card that for some reason screamed Jeskai Ascendancy to me when I first yeah. saw it. And It would be great for that. Yeah, because you get to return the permanent, right? So even if you mill over the Ascendancy, you get to put it back into your hand with Rem, Realm ren and realm breaker it makes it pretty easy but the rest of that exactly just doesn't really synergize with anything else the plus one is cute in that deck because you do get to untap your lands and it does make it easier for that deck to afford all its spells in a four color shell so it's a planeswalker that that can win the game but i don't even know if you play more than a one of in that deck if you play it at all yeah beyond that the comparison point that i have for this is chromatic lantern that's also a planeswalker and so yeah, for your base green deck or what have you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's pretty That's pretty cool and pretty interesting. But do I like it more than Nyssa who shakes the world? I don't think so. I, I don't think so in 60-card formats, and certainly not in EDH, where you can just... Nyssa just ends the game yep. if you've got your doublers out. Exactly. So, I... Yeah. It, it's... And it, it, the thing that really, like kind of is the nail in the coffin for it to me is you know you touched on the comparison of chromatic lantern yeah that's a great effect that goes in every deck because it's colorless Colorless. you know what color has infinite fixing already green yeah why do we need more dryad of the elysian grove prismatic omen joiner adept there's tons of cards that do this yeah this doesn't do anything special because okay i make my land dude well who shakes the world and world waker both did that uh, getting stuff back is fine. Again, green has a lot of options for that. And the emblem is just Ramanop Excavator and a side that green doesn't particularly care about. Agreed. Yeah. I, I don't think this is a, a $20 card. I think this is going to follow the same trajectory that Ren and Seven had, which is not straight into the dumpster, but like, yeah, straight to like an $8 card, which is yeah. where I think this is fine. Yeah. 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 I think it has a little more utility than Ren and Seven, hundred percent. Agreed. Because that minus is pretty interesting, especially in Commander and other formats. You know, it works well with Loam. We've talked about mm-hmm. that, and so you know, maybe it does find itself as a one of, as a unique alternative piece to an engine. It's something else that can be afforded to you when you're playing that kind of deck. Otherwise, yeah, I just don't think that card is really going to stand up to the test of time in regards to this pricing now moving on to a card that i think is just the right price i believe that right now tribute to the world tree is just about the right price it is currently sitting at somewhere between five and six dollars tcg and it is a three mon enchantment triple green that says whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card if its power is greater than three. Otherwise, put two plus one plus one counters on it. And we talked about Teamer Ascendancy, which does something similar in regards to drawing a card. Also gives your creatures haste. There is the Great Henge, which puts plus one plus one counters on creatures and makes mana. There are a number of options for additional card draw when a creature ETBs if its power is greater than X effects and i think tribute to the world tree is a really good second banana to the great henge in op in decks that can afford to play the great henge in both commander and pioneer yeah i think and that is why i think the price is currently being buoyed at about five to six dollars i believe in the long run this is easily a five to six dollar card do i think it's going to to last for the short run no i do not why because this is a regular rare in the set and i have a hard time believing that any regular rare in the set isn't going to crater over the next couple of weeks now that people can buy boxes from their lgs on pre-release weekend because several sets ago watsy threw lgs as a bone we should continue thanks guys we saw a huge glut of quantity hit the open market pre-release orders have yet to sell when ordering from larger 
entities, vendors, etc. So there's not maximum quantity on the market, but once that hits, then we'll see the regular rares drop in price. Eventually, yep. this will pick back up, and we should again see this right where it sits. We are in pioneer season for the the pro tour or the pro yep. circuit. So who knows? This could jump. This could recover a little bit better. It might hold fairly well, but no matter what, I think right where we are is to be expected. If it does end up holding, then it's going to be because mono green is going to be good in Pioneer. That's really yeah. it. I don't think that's the only thing that's going to prop this up, and I can't really see into the future when it comes to Pioneer because as we've been talking about in the Discord, things are a little bit, are a little in flux right now. A lot of people are working with Rona in a lot of different shells, and yeah. mono green has real really no play against that deck as far as I can tell. No. So if the format does shift, like we have talked about a number of times, mono green might fall, this tanks a little bit, and then it recovers. But I think it is just right. I actually like this card a lot. This this is one where I think it might actually be long-term undervalued. And the reason okay. being, uh, it gives green something it doesn't have in card draw, which for EDH is great. Uh, and making things big in green is awesome because the the thought of like throwing an Avenger down and just drawing a bunch of cards sounds pretty sick because oh, yeah, green 100%. makes tokens. Yep. So this, I think it is definitely appropriately priced, but I think there may be a world where it's underpriced just because casuals gobble this card up. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if we're in that timeline, Yeah, but that may be this this is i think of all of the cards in the set when i went over the spoilers this was the one that i looked at and i think this one actually has better long-term legs than just about any other card in the set yeah uh, it, at least in terms of liquidity and even if it stays at five dollars forever that's great because it's going to be an incredibly liquid five dollars it's going to be a five dollar card that you can buy for three at a booth because you know you're going to sell it in 30 seconds yep. uh which I like those $5 bills as a buyer or those $3 bills because those like one to three stacks really fill up a buy quick. True. Uh, so I, I just think this card's great. Also, I love the art. Yeah. But, and, you know. and much like uh, your pick that we're going to move on to shortly, it offers three pips in a singular color, which means there's oh, like I mentioned mono green and pioneer and Nykthos is a card that powers that deck. Yep. Similarly in commander, Nykthos is going to pa help power this card, this card is going to yep. help power Nykthos, and I think it's going to lend long-term opportunity to yeah. this. And then I think so. Moving into your Just Right card, we have... Uh, we have Shark Typhoon at home, uh, and that would be Chrome Host Seed Shark. So this card's sitting at like two to three bucks right now. Uh, it's blue and two for a two-four flying. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, incubate X for mana value. This is just something that I see as a really good, like, not just control finisher, but a tempo finisher. Yeah. Uh, where, all right, I'm just casting these non-creature spells and getting free advantage out of it. Because I'm going to cast my three fairies anyways. I'm going to cast my negates on your stuff. Uh, I'm going to cast force of negation. Whatever the case may be, this is just something that gives control lists, especially in modern, an extra kind of value engine that also happens to have a big butt. Uh, the four toughness on this is probably actually my favorite part of the entire card. It is oddly good. It, yeah, it just, it hits, it dodges all of the right removal yep. that you really have to worry about as the control deck. And you know what it also does? Blocks everything Burn can throw That's at you. That's true. I, I played a lot of uh, X versus Is It Delver this weekend, and I'll tell you, having three or less toughness is... Awful. Yeah, 100% miserable in any format where you can play at least four lightning bolts. And yep. this is fantastic for that. And it's just something that rewards you for doing what your game plan is anyway. Yep. It's basically the exact opposite of what Ren was. This just goes in, I am casting spells. Like, I want to control the game and basically, like, save the queen. You know, I have this one threat I'm going to protect, yep. and that's going to win me the game. And I'm going to remove you out, I'm going to control magic you out. Whatever the case is, I'm going to run a bond of interaction and save the queen. And this just happens to be a queen that's similar to the one that Ripley kills in every movie, lays a bunch of eggs, and provides more movies. But 
I think $2 is about appropriate for this. And that is because, again, we're in the collector booster world. There's going to be a ton of this card open. The one thing I will say is I could definitely see this picking up steam in 60-card formats. Uh, and if that happens, rather than being in the 2 to $3 range, maybe we get to the 3 to $4 range. Woo! Yeah. But I think between 2 to $3 is great for this card because yeah. I don't think this is something that necessarily... Like, sure, I can see people throwing it into EDH decks because, like, I'm casting a bunch of non-creature spells, but it doesn't just scream auto-include the yeah, way that yeah. other blue cards do. Yeah. So, I, eh. There's this interesting thought or pattern that I, I realized where this card is more similar to me uh, to Metallurgic Summonings. Oh, yeah. Than yep. it is necessarily to Shark Typhoon. That's fair, actually, yeah. And Metallurgic Summonings is from Kaladesh. Three double blue for an enchantment. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, create an XS, XX colorless construct artifact creature token where X is that spell's converted mana cost. And this is the precursor, well, a precursor to Shark Typhoon. And then we have this. And the reason I think Metallurgic Summonings is a little more relatable to this card than Shark Typhoon is neither Chrome Host, Seed Shark, nor Metallurgic Summonings have Flash. True. So there's the upside of Cycle My Shark Typhoon for three, which is the mono, the upfront mana value of Seed Shark, right? Yeah. But you get a 1-1 flyer and a redraw. That's the benefit. You pay one blue for a 1-1 flyer, you know? Yeah. After that, I think the comparisons are, are, are very, very apt. But I think Chrome Host Seed Shark might be a little more favorable and constructed than uh, Typhoon was. Typhoon was very difficult to cast as an enchantment. It costs, yeah. was it five or six or something? It, it is a lot to slime that card. This costs three. And like Young Pyromancer, kind of just does its thing immediately. Yeah. There is a little more to do to turn your... Uh, your your incubated tokens, your incubator tokens, whatever they are, yeah. into actual creatures. It takes a little while to get there, but it allows you to play a similar game to uh, Young Pyromancer. So I think this is, I think it ha it might have more play overall to it than Shark Typhoon. Now that is to say that both of those cards have much more play to them than Metallurgic Summonings, which is basically just a spell slinger commander card, and that yeah. and that's that. Um, it's just this this kind of weird comparison point that I, I thought about over the weekend. I was like, oh yeah, the, like Metallurgic Summonings, it had a bump. It was really good for a while. It came back yeah. down to the ground. It is very limiting in, in what it does compared to the other options in its space, despite the fact that it does have an activated ability to kind of give you everything back. Yeah. But I do think Chrome Host Seed Shark is just a better option overall. It comes down earlier, it attacks, it blocks, and then its tokens just linger. You can't kill them until they're creatures, which plays really interestingly in constructed formats. If you can just wrangle control of the game and have a handful of incubator tokens kicking around, you can eventually turn the corner regardless of how big they are. And I think Yeah, it's just overwhelming advantage. Yeah. You know? And I think overall this is going to be a, a really good card. There's no alt art for it, it's just extended art. Yeah. So it's not like there's a, a super premium version of this card. And I think for you know the the two to three dollars whatever it is right now, I think it's that's a perfectly fine price for yep. it. Long term, if it does see more play, if it does fall into formats alongside Young Pyromancer, then yeah, maybe this does push up a little bit more, just like tribute to the World Tree. But otherwise, yeah. I agree. I think this is spot on. All right, what do you have for underpriced? So this one took me a really long time. Because Same. I I was looking around and it was hard to pick a rare for this that I thought was underpriced because I think they're all just going to head nose first into the ground, right? Yeah. So that I thought all rares effectively at this point are overpriced. So I got to start taking a look at Mythics and I was actually on Dawnglare just looking at things and I realized that Invasion of Ravnica at the time of my notes, was a solidly $2 card. And now it's down to about a buck fifty on TCG Player. And this is a battle. And I'm not very high on battles overall because I think they are just 
like purposefully mm-hmm. obtuse and difficult and unwieldy. Yeah. But this is a battle where the front side is really good. This is uh, a five mana battle. It's just five generic. When Invasion of Ravnica enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls that isn't exactly two colors. It then flips into an artifact creature construct that is a 5-5. Whenever you cast a spell that's exactly two colors, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a card that's exactly two colors from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. And yeah, hardy har har, Ravnica is all about two colored guilds. That's the joke. We get it. But this is a five mana sorcery that can effectively exile any non-land permanent as long as it's not two colors. Two colors. Which makes it two mana cheaper then scry from existence the only other spell that can exile a permanent that is purely colorless that isn't carn lip yeah uh, up top right and carn lip yeah. also costs seven or yeah yep one 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 plus one is seven yes one plus one plus one is seven whatever it is whatever one plus that, one that plus one is. is seven yeah. yeah right so for a buck fifty you can exile any non-land permanent that isn't exactly two colors I think that's fantastic, especially for a yeah. mythic with no other treatment. That's it. it it's just it's, this treatment. Especially, I mean, I, I get it. Uh, battles are everywhere, but they're not in collector boosters. Nope. They're not guaranteed in collector boosters the way that they are in set and draft. And that's fine, but like this is a mythic that, like you said, it answers everything. Yeah. How how many decks, when you first started playing EDH, had Karn liberated in them? This is something we talked about. Um, yeah. I think the Karn Lib was everywhere from yeah. from cubes to commander because it was exactly that a purely colorless way to get rid of anything. You needed that in every deck because it especially was just... decks like red that didn't have a way to interact with enchantments. Yep. Uh, aside aside from uh, Chaos Warp, and at that point in time, it was only in the original commander release, so it was like infinite. Oh, yeah. And Legacy, you needed it in Legacy to answer enchantments. The exact same reason. Yeah. So it was like infinite, but that's it. You had those two cards. Yeah, 100%. Different world now. We don't like, everybody's got an answer. Even black can answer enchantments now, which we didn't have back then. Yeah. But your point is still valid. This goes everywhere inside Commander. Now, that isn't to say that I believe this is a 10 15 or $20 card. Sure. I think this is a crisp $5 bill all day long at, you know, in the future. Yeah. And I'm happy with that. I'm happy to see this card costs as many dollars as it does mana i i just i it's not karn lib it doesn't win games it's not a planeswalker the backside is like i would say wholly underwhelming unless you're playing 5c niv yeah the, oh, the original light classic yeah, the original well as your general yeah as your commander oh like, yeah because 5c niv the original 5c niv i think we we're getting another one after the uh aftermath spoiler yeah that one promotes playing the guilds. So yeah, the backside now has a hit. So, yeah. You know, some decks are only two colors, some three. So yeah, you you might have some hits on that, but I don't think you're reliant on battle on that battle because, like I said, they are like oddly obtuse, like yeah. purposefully obtuse and difficult to flip if they have a worthwhile uh, rear or worthwhile backside. Yeah, And so you're playing this primarily for the front side. I think that's the upside. This is one of the only battles, I believe, that has a really strong front side, even if it only triggers once. And I think it's a $5 front side. I don't think you can go wrong at, like I said, it's a buck fifty now. I can't imagine it dips to, like, a dollar and a quarter or a dollar. If it does all day long, just shove on it. But I think this is going to be really good. It sits in a binder. It looks decent. People are going to want to play an agnostic way to remove anything. Even black spells still have the the terror style limitations. You can't kill a legendary. You can't kill an artifact. You can't kill a black yeah. creature. Uh, it can't have menace. Like for two mana, sure. But you tack on three more, you make it purely colorless, and you get almost anything. Yeah. I just think this is really good. Really, really good. Really undercosted. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. I mean, again, like you and I talked about, just having a colorless catch-all 
this is like my get out of jail free card. Whatever deck I'm in, I can play this. I can exile it. Sure, the yeah. backside exists. That's fine. Uh, you know, it's 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 okay. Yeah. I just needed to kill something because sometimes you're just ready to go off and win. But there's one. Someone has an Alish Norn and you're a token deck, and someone has Rule of Law and you need to storm. You yeah. know, it just gives you ways to interact with all of that, which isn't something you necessarily have. And granted, I'm a sucker for modal cards and flexible cards, and this one is just like incredibly flexible catch-all yeah also pro tip a lot of times when you cast oblivion stone and you sit on it it's not because you don't have the mana to pop oblivion stone in tron it's because you're only going to kill one thing and that's not enough value for the amount of mana you're spending because you'll yeah. live this costs five compared to eight of playing and popping oblivion stone a lot more palatable yeah no I mentioned before that Nykthos played into your just right price card, and that's because my tabs were misaligned. It doesn't. It plays into the card that you believe is underpriced. Yes. Uh, I believe underpriced right now, and this is one that's been getting a decent amount of press in a lot of the MTG finance sphere, is Hoarding Broodlord. Okay, I uh, have to ask, because it's good or because the art is just gnarly? I think this card's great. The okay. art is very 1980s high fantasy, though, and I fucking love it. Yes. Uh, it's three black and five, seven, six convoke flyer because convoke is in black now. Whatever. Anyways, ETB exile a card face down from your library spells. You cast from exile and you can play it for as long as it remains exiled spells. You cast from exile have convoke. It's just D two or it's rune scarred demon with a better body. Yeah. With an easier way to cast the spells. Not only that, for as long as it remains exiled, you may play it is independent of hoarding Broodlord existing on the battlefield. Uh -huh. uh, now, I look, Runescar Demon's eight bucks, and that's been printed a couple times. I could absolutely see this hitting an eight dollar price. Now, that said, timeline, we're looking at like a year or two, but it's less than two dollars right now. That's insane for yeah. any D tutor. I. Actually, you know what? I'm going to look up real quick. I don't know what Diabolic Tutor is, but I bet it's probably about two. Uh, oh, we're at a dollar for Diabolic Tutor. Sorry. And that's with 12 printings or something ridiculous. Yeah. This card, even with Collector Boosters, even with Set and Draft Boosters, this card is very, very, very good. Uh, need a combo piece? Need removal? Doesn't matter. Whatever it is, I'm going to get it. It's got you. And it's going to be exiled. And why I like the exile especially is because the amount of times that you vamp tutor to the top and it gets windfalled yep, or, you yeah. know, it gets milled or something. Or the amount of times that you demonic tutor and someone goes wheel of fortune and you're like, well, fuck me, I guess. It's gone. Like that actually yeah. protects the spell. Yep. Uh, the fact that it is an ETB I also love because that makes it imminently abusable with blink effects with clone effects with reanimation yeah, yeah. effects there's just a million ways to do it and it is of course in the best tutor color which obviously helps yes uh i just don't see a card like this sitting at sub two dollars forever especially when it's in a very popular casual tribe yeah being a dragon automatically means it's worth more money because it's a dragon and fantasy nerds love dragons and they love angels and life gain so help me i'm never building another one of those decks anyways i just think this card's great yeah i think there's a lot to this card that people might overlook because it's just like wow this thing costs eight mana yeah but it has convoke it root has convoke so it doesn't cost eight okay interesting yeah. now the exile clause is also interesting it, you can still cast that card for as long as it remains exiled. You don't have to keep control of Hoarding Broodlord, which a lot of other times you do. You have to keep that card around. Then, after that, <clears throat> spells you cast from exile have Convoke. Gonti exiles. Ashiok exiles. There are a lot of cards that exile and allow you to cast them back. Mistalo yep. Griffin an interesting combo card allows you exile. to exile right and if you're going that route well now you're just in Sultai because you're playing food chain and that's what you're doing yeah this card i think also has broad appeal across the competitive spectrum because of that i think there's a lot of opportunity for that i 
yeah dragon cool but the rest of the text on the card i think better yeah i i I think when I read this the first time, my eyes just went cross-eyed. I'm like, I'm done. And I just didn't get through the card. And yeah. I've read it a couple times since. And it just... I think I found everything on this card that I need to find to know that it is a really, really good card. Like, yeah. it's better than Runescar Demon. And if I'm going to need an additional tutor that does something, I think I would probably look at this over a demon it doesn't matter that this does cost more because again you have convoke but for me it is the ability to protect that spell and cast it whenever just leaving that card outside your hand outside the play space because nobody plays like rift sweepers or pull from eternity yeah um also oddly enough if you wanted to you could process it into your graveyard for weirder shenanigans there's a lot that this card does and a lot of doors it opens and for that i think this is another good look it is a rare and so we've been harping on that all episode you know but if i if i'm gonna buy in the rares are gonna tank i'm gonna be happy to buy in anywhere from let's say 50 cents up to where it is now and expect that in time in time is when I'm going to make my, my money on this. Runescar but again, it may be a long time. It took Runescar Demon a very long time to get to where it is, and it was a cornerstone creature in Vintage for a fairly yeah, long time. it was. But this is definitely a card that obviously has legs. You can see it in the art. Mm-hmm. And has a pedigree for all of its abilities to be reasonable, to be decent, and to be sought after. And so, again, I like this card. This is just a regular rare, so I'd wait. I'd wait to buy into the dip. I, I don't I don't feel bad doing that. And no. if I if I miss the dip and I've got to buy around the price it is now in a week or two, I'm still happy about that. I'm yeah. okay with this overall. Um, there were – I had some honorable mentions overall. Um, yeah all up and down that were just kind of difficult to discuss because I couldn't like the one I wanted to talk a lot about uh, and it seems to kind of have gotten swept by is Kroxa and Kurinos. I think it's really good. I think it is good too, but the problem with Kroxa and Kurinos and the reason I didn't talk about it, even though we talked about it up top before we actually went on air is while this card is still sitting at the same 275 market that it has been this entire time, and I believe that is just right, I don't know what's going to happen with this card overall. So it's very difficult to come out and talk about. So Kroxa and Karinos is three and Mardu. So three and one red, one white, one black for a 6-6. Six, six. Vigilance, Menace, Lifelink. Whenever Kroxa and Karinos <clears throat> enters the battlefield or attacks, you may exile five cards from your graveyard, period. When you do, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Well, why would I even bother talking about this card? Well, I would talk about this card because with Altar of Dementia, you mill your library in response to the ETB trigger. Yeah. You mill six because that is the power. You exile five and bring it back. So you leave one card every time. This card could do nothing and could be worth dirt. It could do everything and as a mythic, $10, $15. Yeah. And it's stuff like this when reading through the set where I just kind of like stumbled a lot and I couldn't quite figure out if these cards were good enough to talk about. There's the um, a a three mana battle, two and a blue. You make two one one serpent tokens. Yeah. On the back. It's Goblin Electromancer 9 through 12 that also yep. untaps two creatures. Who cares? Yeah. People are going nuts for the backside. But you have to get there first. You have to attack into that thing or remove the counters. Chump all day long. Block it. But it's just like, got, like I said, Goblin Electromancer 9 through 12. There's so many other options, even in, a, even in hardier card types like Artifacts and enchantments that flipping it into a creature seems very weak yeah so for me the review of this set was actually very difficult because i had these kind of like 
half-baked ideas like Crooks and Kurinos. Then some of the set just seemed really rancid, like that blue battle that I just mentioned. The one that I had the hardest time evaluating out of the set was honestly Deep Root Wayfinder. It's the two mana two three. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player or battle, surveil one. Oh yeah. Then you may return a land card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. I, there's a home for this card. Somewhere. Yeah. It's not lands. But there is a home somewhere for this card. And when it finds that, this card, I think, could be, like, maybe in that Ledger Shredder category. I think that's a very, very high ceiling yeah. card. I don't think that's necessarily the most realistic, but I could see it getting there. And I would not be surprised if it does after, you know, we see where it goes. Uh, but it's it's just this was the hardest one for me to evaluate because I could have easily seen myself putting it in just right or undervalued. Both of those were probably right. Certainly not overvalued at like sub a dollar. I mean, that's, you know, a bulk rare. That's yeah. fine. But it this this was the one that to me, I was like, I really don't know where yeah. this card goes. Uh, I read this. I read that card a couple of times at the pre-release and the, the thought I kept having was Sylvan Advocate cost so much yeah and did so many middling things in a standard format but that price stuck for like a year because of that and just turned into absolute poop sylvan advocate also costs a colorless and a green for a two three it has vigilance as long as you control six or more lands sylvan advocate and land creatures you control get plus two plus two this is from oath of the gate watch so it really plays into the creature land idea and plays well alongside Deep Root Wayfinder because you're bringing yeah. lands back from your graveyard so you can just power up the like, advocate. And I think this is another one of those like kind of middling cards. It's like we have Ren and Six in Modern, but you can have Ren and Six in Standard? Yeah, that that's kind of like the worst Ren and Six in Standard. Here we go. Yeah, and I like that's how I read it. I thought, oh, that's kind of cute and neat, but what are what lands are you bringing back right now? This is... Similar Lotus Field, Field of the Dead. I mean, I get, it's in uh, standard. The, the, oh yeah, fair, so, yeah, in standard, no way. In that one core set, we got Crucible of Worlds and Scape Shift, and I said, "There's no way." I, I like, I'm pretty sure I'm on the podcast is saying, "There's no way yeah. you put these two cards in standard without a payoff." And it took until the next summer to get Field of the Dead. We went through the Rav set. I'm like, it's either going to be in the Rav yeah. set or we're going to get it right as these two cards go out of standard. And sure enough, Field of the right Dead came, went out of standard. Yeah, came in the core set over the summer. You had three months to play it all, and that was that. Like, yeah, this, I think this is a card that is like projected. Yeah, I think we're going to get something because right now there's, as far as I know, nothing. It's just yeah, the, I don't think there's anything. The fast lands, the reprints from Scars, the mm-hmm. pain lands from Ever, uh, yeah, Ice Age and Invasion. And some odds and ends, rare lands, the um, the Mycosynth Gardens, which doesn't require sacrifice. There's the land that adds and shifts oil counters. Not yep. a lot of stuff you want to be sacrificing. We don't even have Fabled Passage anymore in Standard. So it's like, what are you doing with this card? And so I think this is this is a card that's this is that's foreshadowing something. Yeah. So yeah, it is really weird to evaluate. One hundred percent. At least Sylvan Advocate was in the second set in a block where they brought back creature lands. Yeah. In the first one and told you more were coming in the second one. So you knew. Yeah. So, yeah, overall, very difficult to to evaluate. Intre- I, I like that you brought it up because, yeah, if you can parallel this kind of card. Yeah. If you want to pick them up for when they're from, at bulk, go for it. Would I go, like, real deep on them? Probably not. But at bulk, what's the harm in like yeah, getting sure. min cost for zero sh- for zero shipping? Yeah, five dollars worth of deep root wayfinders off TCG player probably not the worst in the yeah. long run. So seems fine. Yeah. So yeah, th- this set was like an interesting struggle to go over. I, this is probably the least amount of cards I've had in a list for one of these episodes. Yeah, by Three. far. I I had like. Five and Deep Root Wayfinder was one of them where I was like, eh, I can't say for sure. Yep. Yeah. Period. So I think that sounds like it covers everything and we're ready to move into picks. Picks. All right. Which what do you got? I will get started. 
Uh, well, solitude. Yep. Look, the elementals are at a low point. We're not in modern season right now, but it's easy enough to look at what happened to Pioneer Staples when they announced Pioneer season and the lands went up 40 to 50%. Croxa went up to 30 to $50. Stuff happens. Absolutely. I don't think there's a word, world where we don't get a modern season. And I'm shouting out Solitude, although this is more of like a market call for cards like Subtlety, Three Fairy, stuff like that yeah, yeah. that's just played. Uh, Solitude, according to MTG Goldfish, is the 45th most played card in Modern at 12%. It is also, I think, like, uh, let's see, what is it? I think 12th? 13th most played creature. Uh, and obviously, Ragavan's above it. Yep. Murktide Regent's above it. Darcy's above it. Like, the stuff that you know is going to be above it is above it. Yeah. But yeah. this card is very widely played. Uh, I think that just the elementals in general are good. We've kind of hit a lull in MH2, where obviously there's still some stock sticking around, but most everything that is a staple from MH2 has hit its floor. We're at a steady, stable, this is what it's going to be as long as there's no modern season. Mm -hmm. And once the modern season happens, I would fully expect this to get back to that like $50 price point that it was for ages mm -hmm. after the set came out. Yeah. Uh, right now sitting at about 30 Obviously, there's a world where you can buy list that pretty quickly if it happens. Now, in terms of buy quantity, I mean... A lot of these are in the two to four line, right? You're playing yes. between two and four. Solitude's one of those ones where you're typically always playing four. Uh, so I'd be picking up regular play sets. Not EDH sets, not less than four, but I probably wouldn't go more than two or three sets deep. Uh, obviously, the cost is part of that. There's always the possibility that we get some ridiculous secret lair with this stuff because Wizards doesn't acknowledge the secondary market, and that could tank it. Now, in terms of timeline, kind of up to Wizards, right? I mean, we have our next Pro Tour set. We don't know what it's going to be after that. Maybe they'll make it standard. I doubt that because of Arena and their push to drive standard there. I think it is more likely that we do get a modern season after that. And I think at that point, you can very easily see this climbing up back to those $50 levels that we had before. Yep. And at that point, you can trade out, you can probably profitably buy list to some of the hot lists uh this past weekend a lot of the elementals were on multiple hot lists for tcg low so it's clearly something that vendors need that they're moving yes so possibility exists there uh i just think it's a good market call out because by the time we get an announcement it's going to be far 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 too late to capitalize on it uh, if you remember what happened to like spire bluff canal they announced pioneer season by 6 a.m the next day it was back to being a 20 dollars card overnight when up from seven that's the kind of thing that you could see here mm -hmm. obviously it's not a land so it's not as foundational but it is an incredibly relevant threat to the format three fairies relevant fury's relevant ragavan's relevant or there's a lot of cards here that fit this mold but this was just the one that i chose to like hey market call out guys if there's anything you really really like for modern or the saga for example pick it up now yep but uh, i think it's a good look overall for a lot of this stuff and solitude in particular uh before i knew you wanted to do this as a market call i thought solitude was just a good look anyway yeah after uh the bands that we had in modern that effectively cut the legs out of the omnath deck solitude just didn't really dip that hard it, no it's come it's back still the card it is yep instead of being in the high 40s it's in the mid 40s uh maybe a little lower than that it, yeah it, lost maybe 10% overall, but it still has a decent market share. Moving into modern season overall, the one thing we haven't had on this is constant eyes from the from you know the noted pros and whatever they're going to come up with for modern. A lot of people like to settle on control because it gives the, the pilot more options, more decisions, yeah. which means the better players can capitalize on that. And control decks overall, namely Azorius, pretty light in the metagame, but this is a staple in that deck. Somewhere in the one to two range, I think this is the... Yeah. I don't know how they build. Do you play one? Do you play two? Don't really know. But, oh, apparently, uh, Jeskai plays four. Who knew? Okay, oh, so there right. you go. T-I-L. So, exactly. So it, at that point in time, it didn't really matter. We're not in an era where every control deck just played one and then it was going to ephemerate it for a while. 
people aren't yeah. really doing that. They're just running it out. They're just jamming. And so overall, I like the idea of solitude in and of itself. Diversifying into modern, also never really a bad idea if you have a local modern meta. Because it's yeah. always nice to to be able to serve that. You know, People are popping Raghavans. We were talking about uh, this past weekend. Raghavan had a price going yeah. into that weekend. Just regular. There didn't seem like anybody cared if it was uh, alt art from MH2 or not. Knowing full well that the... What frame did it get? Not Mystical Archives. Um, the Invention frame. Yeah, it has Invention, the, that's right. Yep. Knowing full well that people were going to pop the Invention frame on-prem. Still a sought-after card. Yeah. It just means that there's more out there now for people to pick up and stock in their binders to be able to better serve. Yeah. So this is a, a good time to take a look at the at the modern meta, see what's going on, and then take a position. I think it's very difficult to really lose on a lot of this stuff and capitalization on some of the from a price point underserved cards because they're not really moving like yeah. solitude like saga uh, a good look some multi-format staples also a good look right now i think fable might still be on the way up because it's very it's doing things in standard but it is a cheaper buy-in overall more people do play that because it reaches all the way down to legacy so there's still opportunity there this is another time for you to really decide what you want to be doing with mtg finance and kind of make your own way here but a yeah. mark you know a, a a good a good place to start yep with this for me uh, i am going back to the commander well i guess i never really left how how yeah, often never how often do i stray not 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 often and I'm looking at a card that, for me, was kind of a pet card for a while, but not as one to play, but just to watch. And it is Stoneforge Masterwork. This oh, is yeah. a piece of equipment that costs one. It, it equips for two colorless, and it says, Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each other creature you control that shares a creature type with it. So Stoneforge Masterwork is basically just coat of arms for one creature. Cool. And I just had the stocks <clears throat> graph up, and you can see that it's just a nice, like steady two by one slope we're just looking at a car that just keeps going up and up and up over time but it's not going up by leaps and bounds no. so i added this to my list in february of 2022 car king was buying 75 at a dollar 30 there were 165 on tcg player at 225 and those numbers have moved in our favor over time uh, as far as Card Kingdom is going, when I was taking my notes, they were buying 43 at $1.50, which was an uptick on both numbers. As of today, somebody has fulfilled that a little bit, and they're only buying 35 at $1.35. TCG player, however, 172 listings at $2.94 a piece. So we did see a nice 30 35% gain in terms of market price in about a year, which is nice. Now... As far as the commander playability on this goes, well, this is basically just four tribe and job-based decks, and they're just yeah. looking to win primarily through combat, and they just want to utilize this as either the, the the death stroke or as a piece of the kit. And we'll talk a little bit more about the difference. Now, overall, when we're looking at the format, you pick an aggressive tribe or job, and the slot's right in. It's similar to Coat of Arms, but less punishing, as this isn't a symmetrical buff. Now, yep. what I mean by that is Coat of Arms is all creatures. Not all creatures you control, all creatures on the board. So if I'm sitting here and I'm actually playing a tribal deck, and you're playing, let's go back to Is It Spellslinger, chances are you're probably going to have a lot of humans. That's a tribe. Oftentimes, those creatures are also wizards. Cool. That's a creature type despite yep. it being a job. But now your creatures get to benefit from Coat of Arms, much like mine. And that makes combat really weird when you're trying to figure this out. Stoneforge Masterwork, non-symmetrical. Now, Coat of Arms, Vanquisher's Banner, Herald's Horn, all this see, sorry, all these seem to make up a bit of a package that you'll see in most of these kinds of decks 
that also need a bit of a helping hand. So something mm -hmm. like slivers and elves aren't necessarily in the market for these kinds of effects as they have their own unique profiles that, in the case of slivers, can overwhelm the, their other shared mechanics. In the case of elves, be something as low-key as a comet storm or the myriad of overrun effects already yeah. available to them. This suite sits well inside the wheelhouse of creature decks that can get to the board but have problems representing lethal or a game-winning turn. In a deck like Cats, which just got Kemba, or a new Kemba, I should say, yeah. where you just want to put as many hats on your commander to start one-shotting people, this helps. This is the difference between like delivering a death stroke and just wanting to help supplement. Masterwork allows you to one-shot with your commander compared to Coat of Arms, which powers up the crew. Yeah. In a deck like Goblins and Soldiers, this can help diversify your threat base and make blocking much less profitable for your opponents. And of course, this works well in creature decks that offer unblockability via something like Rogue's Passage or via an ability like on Ketsu Orochi Archmage. Granted, Snakes is a weird kind of tribe, so what you're going to do in Simic doesn't matter. It's just the fact that this thing has a cool activated ability It's just like, my creature can't be blocked now. And I'm a big proponent of winning via combat, and something like this holds appeal across all types of playgroups, short of CEDH. It's not uh, it's not overbearing, and it's a pretty easy problem to solve, quote-unquote. So we have that broad base appeal. And what I mean by that is, like, you can just hit it with a Crozen Grip, and that's it. Yeah. That's cool. This one thing's gone. It's not an overwhelming problem. It's not Crater Hoof, Pathbreaker, Ibex, Thunder, Herd, Baloff. It's not those. It, it's not yeah. Pain Bacon. It doesn't pump the entire team when it ETBs, so now somebody has to deal with the rest of your board. Nope. One piece of targeted removal takes care of the equipment, takes care of the threat. Fairly palatable. It gets around that weird taboo that I upcycle every now and again about winning with Crater Hoof. Nope. Timeline. This has really only sold about 200 LP and near mint copies a month on TCG Player over the last four months. And with a gaining BIOS number, it feels like they should pop sooner rather than later, especially with the re release of the Knight's Commander deck. So that's why we're coming back to this well. Yeah. I don't think that people are going to see this card on rec and move in in the short term, so I think this will instead be a longer term hold as we're having to wait for it to hit stocks and or content creator stream. So we're back to this again. I'm basically looking at six months out at a minimum to flip to buy list, but if you wanted to flip into the open market, you're probably looking at closer to three months as the market dries up. And that's not like three months turning into two, that's four months turning into three as this is just kind of a consistent but low volume seller. Right now on TCG Player, we're down from the 172 listings when I took my notes at two days, two days ago to 160 listings so we again we can see this is moving but just pretty slowly yeah reprint equity is a little odd stone forging as a concept seems to be locked to zendikar so we'd have to go back again to see this reprinted in a standard set however i would expect this to be in a tribal or job-based commander precon but again like i talked about last week this is another card that watsi seems to dodge when looking at options I don't know why they choose to just kind of backtrack on stuff like this or Junk Diver, Sithis, but they do. They like yeah. new options, not old options. Odd, but here we are. If it does hit a Commander Precon, that might put a wrinkle in the work, or, but it could also help us a little bit because, as I mentioned, until this hits stocks or a content creator stream, I don't think people are going to see this on Wreck and really remember it's a card. Or even no. remember it's a card, for that matter. So visibility of any sort might actually help us here. So a reprint could actually be a boon. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think this is... This, to me, is one of the most underappreciated equipments in EDH especially. Because the tribes that want it, like you mentioned, you don't want it in elves. You don't really need it in fish. But most of your equipment-based strategies, 
you're just incidentally going to have a ton of pump for this. Yeah. And it is very effective at one mana casting cost, two mana equip. And if you're in the full-on Voltron with, like, pure steel and everything else, it's just an easy one-drop that can, in some cases, double your commander's power. Yeah. Which is just huge. Yeah. And like you said, reprint equity, like, it's not... We gotta go back to Zendikar. And it it's not the kind of card that, to me, screams secret layer printing. Nope. Because the value's not really there yet. But it is just a really good lower end if you want to call it that piece of equipment that really does just slide into all of the equipment decks that incidentally have a ton of humans have a ton of knights have a ton of whatever yeah it's and stuff like this that's just generically good in bulk strategy in this case Voltron equipment whatever aggro in general yes uh this just slides into it pretty well and you know similar to save the queen strategy kind of deal uh, with Shark Typhoon at home, you can just, you know, suit up Aurelia with this, and if you have, like, Luminarch Ascension or something, you're just slamming all day. Yeah, you're off to the races, exactly. And, like, from a buy perspective, like, I have a bunch of these from playing that standard era, and I think, honestly, like, the between the non-foils and the foils, it's probably somewhere around a playset. I think I'd go for, like, two? Two playsets yeah. on top of that, so that's, like, three total, so you're looking at spending, like, maybe 40 bucks for a bunch of these it's not much no no and at at the end of the day i think this is this becomes a more served piece of equipment across the entirety of the format at the point that you made it is really good i didn't even think about a hmm, like voltron style decks or really heavy equipment decks because in my mind it's just like okay you want to hit with you know a kiri line slinger or whatever yeah. you look back and you see like isamaru used to be the go-to now there's the the mono white thing from is it battle bond that sucks up all yeah. the equipment yep and i don't think about the supporting cast for that card i just think about casting the commander slapping a bunch of stuff on it and going but how do you get there how do you get the all those pieces of equipment uh stone well stoneforge mystic uh, Enlightened Tutor, Seal yeah. Shaper's Gift. My Stone, personal favorite, Stone Hewer Giant. Stone Hewer Giant, yeah. And to your <clears throat> to your point, there is this supporting cast of creatures that do go at Pure Steel Paladin, go into yeah. this. And there is a lot of overlap. And if you're looking to get in with your general, then your break points are basically 7, 11, and 21. Yep. And that's it. That's th- 1, 2, and 3 attacks with yeah. your general. So even one additional creature of the same type can put in some work. And yeah. at the end of the day, if you want to be playing some goofy-ass tribe like Angels, here you go. Here's a big one. Yeah. You know, you want to, oh, I like a Miri Angel. Let me throw this on there. Like, we, there's a lot of ways yeah. that this can help we, out. We talked about Giada, and uh, we've talked about mm-hmm. Angel decks twice and ways to basically restock. Well, you know, yeah. as you're restocking, this makes every single one of them that can attack on its own a huge threat. Yeah. yeah. Premier. So I think this is just right now an under-the-radar, underserved card that can eventually pick up in both value and playability. Yep. The other thing that I, I, I found interesting is, like, on Stoneforge Mystic, this is just, like, tinfoil hat time, right? Uh, Stoneforge Mystic in both printings is stoneforging a sword, right? It's got that. Stoneforge Masterwork is a chest piece. Yeah. Gauntlets and maybe helm. So we have a weapon and we have all of our armor except our boots. So the next Stoneforge piece, <laughs> tinfoil hat, is going to be the pair of boots. And it's not going to be like cauldra style like putting it all together i just think that might be like the next step and kind of play into the idea that i don't think we're gonna get a reprint of this thing we're gonna get something else weird that stone forges because even the original nahiri planeswalker the mono white one from that year i don't it's she was stoneforge the heart the lithomancer okay yeah lithomancer yes nahiri the lithomancer was the attach an equipment well it makes something oh yeah it, it makes a core soldier token you can attach an equipment for free and then minus two put an equipment card from your hand or graveyard onto the no, battlefield it's the alt 
Put a color oh, token, yep. artifact yep. token named Stoneforged, Stoneforged Blade. Blade. So that's it. So Nahiri makes the, the Stoneforged Blade. That's our weapon. Yeah. Masterwork is the gauntlets, the the chest piece, and the helm. So now we need our boots, right? If we're literally Stoneforging equipment, we need our boots and maybe some stuff for a horse. And that's about yeah. it. Yeah. So this Done is just, after that. Yeah. Tinfoil hatting. We'll get boots next. We don't have to worry about a reprint. So it gives haste and indestructible. Yeah, it is for 10. That's a lot. Yeah, but it pluses for two. <laughs> yeah. But anything else? Nope. That's, all right. That does it. So uh, because this was our March of the Machine look ahead, look at next week will be our one review. Yes. Right? For actually all of you. Look back at our picks and see what did we fuck up? Yep. Because I kept thinking it was Brothers War was the last set. There's yeah. Another, there's one in between. But we will get Too many. There. Yeah, we will get there next week. But for MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube, I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. And we'll see you next week.